You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with old Ronnie of New Heights fame, Ron Cotton Jr., here to talk about what feels like a Chiefs loss, but it actually was a win. So this is a victory uh, Monday, Tuesday conversation that for a lot of people sure seems like they didn't take it as a win. What do you think, Ron? Wait, Stags, what, what, what are you talking about, dude? I saw the Willie Gay pick six. I, I I was celebrating so hard. I said, you know what? I don't even need to watch the rest of this game. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to get some good rest to, to get, you know, get going on a good Monday morning. You're telling me... What happened? It was twenty-seven nothing. I, I I figured the game would have ended forty-five nothing. What are you telling me? Something happened after that Willie Gay pick six? Yeah, Ron woke up to do his Chad Henney film review this morning, right? Uh, for the second <laughs> half, <laughs> and it's for some reason uh, something changed. And you know, we can get right into it. What what is the thing that changed? Like what happened in this game? A lot of people are pointing fingers at the defense, pointing fingers at it. Uh, you know, all these different things. To me, it was really simple. You turn the ball over against a bad team, and you give them life. If Mahomes doesn't throw two bad interceptions in the first half and one at the end of the game, this is a totally different conversation today. Yeah, no, you're right. The Willie Gay pick six to make it 27 nothing was followed up by a three and out by the defense. So even after they got up to that big lead, the defense was still holding strong. And you're right, that first Mahomes interception gave the Broncos a short field and gave them life, and and you're right, exactly. You kind of let, you know, you, your foot's on the on their neck. If you let up a little bit, give them any sort of life, you know, they kind of get momentum and start rolling. But, yeah, I, I think for the most part, man, you're, you're talking about a, a Chiefs team that is coasting a little bit, you know, to the playoffs. Not coasting, but, you know, they know they're going to be there. They're about to win the division. If you go up 27-0 on, on a team this late in the season, I, I just feel like it's natural to, to let loose on the pedal, unfortunately, a little bit. And I, and I think you did see that a little bit with, with some of the effort, you know, may, maybe on defense on some, you know, like something like that 66 yard screen touchdown. You know, I think you could maybe contribute some of that a little bit, but you, you also help it by, again, those three turnovers. I, I, I think you're right, dude. I think, I think Mahomes really gave Denver life with those and, and it did allow them to get the score closer, even though the Chiefs really were just laying it on. I mean, that, that first, the game didn't look like, you know, it didn't look like those teams should be on the, even on the same field, you know, through mm-hmm. the first quarter and a half. They were dominant on both sides of the ball, and I think really throughout, if you look at the the defensive performance, I think you'll find that on a drive-by-drive basis, this was a a pretty good defensive game overall. They had uh, a couple of mistakes here and there, a couple of short field touchdowns, but um, 
there was a lot of dominant play by this defense, and it started with the pass rush. We complained all week last week about how there was no pass rush. They just don't have the players for it, and uh, they're not built for pass rush. And Brett Veach didn't do a good enough job bringing guys in this offseason. Well, they come right out, and, and granted, competition's different, but six sacks, um, they had uh, seven, they, they had four guys get uh, over four pressures each. Seven guys had at least part of a sack. They hit the quarterback 11 times in this game. Uh, all the edges, except for Carlos Dunlop, had a, had a sack or a piece of one. Um, and, and not to mention uh, Thornhill, you know, coming in on the blitz. So this is a, a defense that all of a sudden just had a, a really, really good game from a pass rush pr- perspective. Yeah, exactly. It got, it got them to that 27 nothing lead, right? I mean, we, we they were blanking them almost through a f- – of the first half of football and and again no matter who you do that against that's impressive to me um and 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 that's the big thing to me is that i wanted to see more more, a game like this from the defense as crazy as that sounds right because you they gave up 28 to denver um and and they did make it close at the end and and yeah they did give up some big plays but they gave up big plays in consequence you know but they they act they also got huge plays in positivity, right? They got positive plays. We've mentioned the sacks, the four, three and outs as well. The Willie Gay pick six. I want more volatility from the defense. The offense is going to do its thing. It's going to score, but give the offense more possessions. Give them that advantage by creating turnovers. I know we're going to talk about it, but one thing they haven't done enough this year is create turnovers. Well, they did this game and, and turnovers don't always have to be, you know, obviously the definition of turnover is literally, you know, taking the ball away before fourth down, but even those three and outs, they're just as good as a turnover if, you, if it's a quick three and out. And, and so I like this. I like to see, you know, the Chiefs kind of, you know, even if it came with negative plays, right? I, I just like the volatility of, okay, we got way more big plays this week. The negative plays came with it, but you saw the offense make it not matter, right? Hey, if the offense didn't have as good a game, because we talk about the interceptions, but, you know, Mahomes still had a pretty impressive game outside of those interceptions in terms of some of his highlight reel p- passes. The run game looked good. You know, but a lesser offense, maybe, you know, they can't overcome the the big plays the defense gave up. But that's why that's why I want more volatility. Right. The point is that the Chiefs offense is going to get it. The defense, you know, it may give up some points and that's fine because the Chiefs offense is going to score, too. But get those big plays, steal some possessions. And that's going to really matter in like the playoffs in the Super Bowl. Potentially, I just think I, I wanted to see more volatility. And I think as crazy as it sounds this was a good step towards that, you know, getting more of the high, you know, we just need to limit the negative plays, you know, maybe not make them as bad, uh, you know, maybe make some tackles in the open field, you know, maybe, you know, just complete a coverage play, you know, down the field. I think um, a few of those things made it a little, the score a little tighter than we wanted it to be, but I like the high side of the variance of the, of the volatility. Fair enough. You look at, you know, things like the running game, you mentioned the chiefs ran the ball pretty well, Uh, This was a good Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith game. And as I've made this point uh, repeatedly, as those guys go, so does the Chiefs running game. When Trey Smith is out there mauling people on highlight reels across Twitter, you know that Pacheco had a good game running the ball. Uh, He ran like a man possessed like he always does. The most impressive thing I've seen from him all season was that final run to close this thing out. He was not going to be tackled went through three, four Denver defenders, and and I've never seen a player more fired up uh, after a 10-yard first down uh, than Pacheco was in that instance. So they ran the ball well. The offensive line, especially on the interior, uh, blocked well for, for those guys on the ground. They were able to close it out at the end. So 
a lot of people will say, well, they didn't run the ball enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was 23 total carries, 13 to Pacheco, 6 to McKinnon. They should have run the ball more. Well, what's interesting is, number one, Mahomes didn't run the ball this game at all. Uh, He had three carries, negative three yards, so that was just, you know, scrambling and getting tackled. Uh, So when Mahomes runs, it opens things up in a lot of ways, and and that didn't happen this week. But also, uh, all the the passing game effort from McKinnon, uh, seven receptions, 112 yards, and two touchdowns, you know, that's, as you know, an extension of the running game as well. And then finally, the game came down to it. It was a one-score game. They had four minutes left, and they run the four-minute drill, which is a perfect situation for it. You got a small lead. You can't give the ball back to them with a chance to do anything with it, although at that point the Denver office wasn't going to do anything anyway. But they ran the ball effectively, ran off the entire four minutes, and ended ended up being able to kneel kneel down and get off the field and and get out with a win. So some encouraging signs from the run game uh, on offense. Yeah, and that's where I think I'd I'd be on the other side of that argument that they still could have ran it more. I think when you're up 27 nothing, you know, especially late in that first half, you know, that that one the first interception came on a second down, I believe. You know, second and seven. I'm not a huge fan of running on those downs, but when you're up 27 nothing, you know, it might be smart to just trust your run game to to especially when it was looking good because you're right. I think Pacheco was looking good the entire game, and obviously the offensive line was too. Andrew Wiley, shout out him. You know, I do think he's he's gelling really well and playing really well at right tackle, especially run blocking wise. I know pass protection is always going to be a struggle, guys. It's just it just is, you know, there's not much we can do about that at this point. But at least he's making up for it as he can um, in the run game. Um, Really good at those on the backside of zone runs lately, I've noticed. Um, And we actually broke that down in the AP film room for anyone interested. But all that to say is 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 the offense still had a pretty good game, pretty efficient game, you know, move the ball when they needed to all that just outside of those picks. It was really just the picks that, that soured this performance. And, and that's where it's just, you know, the Mahomes, you know, the, the narrative now, it's just unfortunate a little bit, right. With, with the, you know um, it's just three interceptions. I know he had a good game outside of him, but you can't, you can't hide from the three interceptions. That's going to go on your box score. And it actually surprisingly wasn't the first time he's thrown three interceptions in a game, but um, definitely felt like one of his kind of just one of those, you know, one of the weirdest games of his career. Um, and, and one of those games he was forcing just way too much when he really didn't need to. It's just kind of unfortunate. But, hey, you know, it, it's going to happen. Not every, You know, you can't be per- – you know, the quarterback's not going to be perfect every game. Well, other things about the offense that were not perfect this week. In the second half, they had two three and outs. Both of those, they got it to third and one. The first time they tried to throw it to MVS, which was ill-advised <laughs> for a number of reasons. The second one, they tried to run Michael Burton, uh, and everybody in the stadium knew that he was going to get the ball, and it didn't work. So, you know, extending drives, being able to convert on third and one, uh, that's why that feels like it's a big issue because it happened twice in the second half. There was another third and four in the second half that that, uh, where Mahomes took a sack. So three three and outs in the second half for this offense. And, again, if you look at the overall – you know, score of the game and the flow of the game, uh, you know, you'd feel a lot better about it if they were able to sustain some drives in the second half and, and this, this game wouldn't have been quite as close. Right. No, you're right. It's, it, it just, it's just hard to ignore the fact that they were up 27, nothing. And, and, you know, the mentality that you it can switch off after that, but you know, when that game got close, you know, that mentality has got to switch back on. So you're, you're not, you're not wrong. And, and they did get it done in the end, but you know, I, 
I wish it would have been a little, you know, it would have been a little more comfortable. They, they could have made it a little more comfortable in the second half, even after Denver tightened it to, to six points initially. They, they could have made yeah. it a wider spread. Kind of getting back to this theme about why people feel so bad about this win. Uh, the Chiefs scored 34 points against the Broncos by far. Well, not by far, but definitely the most anybody has scored on the Broncos this year. Uh, the Raiders uh, did beat them 32-23, so that was the only other one uh, that was above 23 points this season. So, yeah, one of those was a defensive touchdown, but they left some offensive touchdowns on the field too that they could have had. So this is a a game where you have a good, you know, you have a good offensive performance against a, a good defense. Uh, this Chiefs defense held this the Broncos team to basically their season average when it comes to yardage in, in the game. Uh, so they didn't do anything spectacular uh, either direction that you know Denver didn't uh, that was out out of character for them. So this is you know certainly you look at the scoreboard and you say they put up twenty eight against the Chiefs. Take one or two of those interceptions off the board, and this is a you know this is a forty one to fourteen game. Yeah, and and that is a good point on on the Denver thing, the the offense, the yardage thing. I also think. One thing is Denver really hasn't ever been down like a like that much in a game this year because their defense is so good. Every time their offense has been sputtering, it's still been in a competitive game because the defense is so good. They've, they're holding the other offense down and, and still keeping them in the game. There's not a lot of times where they've been just blown out of the water like they were in the first half and then having to play catch up against a defense that's obviously going to be playing softer after that. So, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think there is something to that as well. You know, the, the Chiefs did stop the, the Denver running game. The running backs, you know, had, uh, what is it, 40, 49 total yards rushing. Uh, the, they struggled stopping Russell Wilson running, and that's sort of a long-running theme for the Chiefs is being able to – or struggling being able to stop running quarterbacks. Uh, oh, and yeah. So even even old Russ uh, can, <laughs> can still get it done on the ground against uh, the Chiefs defense, which is a little concerning and – I'm sure there's a reason for that, Ron. Is it the the aggressiveness of this team? Kind of they get upfield and they they lose contain on a, on a quarterback. Um, a lot of Russell Wilson's runs were on third down, so they he had a third and one, ran for 13 yards. Had a third and 11, ran for 14. So if this team on third down is trying to get a lot of pressure and they're blitzing and they're uh, flying up the field, you know, all, all all he has to do is beat that first wave, and then he's got free reign. Yeah. Yeah. That's some of it, you know, the blitzing, but I do think, and Nate Christensen did a great job of breaking this down on the site for us last week, but I do think the chiefs, the way they've, they built their defensive line, they are kind of susceptible to mobile quarterbacks just because they're all kind of bigger dudes that don't change direction very well. And, 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 you know, turn corners very well. They're, they're more a pocket crushers or, or, you know, um, obviously Chris Jones is a different story, but the rest of these guys, because even like a Frank Clark, you know, he's supposed to be the, the speed, kind of edge rush guy he still doesn't turn a corner very well he's just he's just quick off the snap more than anything um I, I think a lot of it yeah it does have to do with when the play does break down they're just not as as good as maybe other rush you know other um rush schemes i guess in the nfl maybe with guys that are athletic enough to get off a block and 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 you know grab the quarterback before he gets out of containment right i think a lot you know a guy like dunlap isn't going to do that very quickly a guy like Karloff, this isn't going to do that very quickly and, and so it, it's just kind of natural with the way they built this defensive line group. They're more pocket crushers rather than, you know, athletic, you know, um, you know, just guys and moving guys in space, turn a corner kind of guys. And, and I think it does show up in, in the way they can finish or I should say lack of finishing uh, pass rush snaps. 
You're saying they need to look for some some guys with low three cone times in the uh, draft this year. A little juice. <laughs> a little bit a of little a change of direction. Yeah. Well, some yeah. some other things we noticed. Uh, if you stay on the defensive side of the ball, you know that Jerry Judy obviously had uh, some success against this team uh, this week. Eight catches, ninety or seventy three yards, three touchdowns. He beat each of the three rookie cornerbacks once, and. Yeah. It wasn't a dominant performance, I would say, but like, you know, he, uh, he 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 was a little bit of a problem there, especially in the red zone. He scored on Joshua Williams by pushing off. He uh, he definitely beat uh, Watson. Jalen Watson was trailing him in coverage and and left him open in the end zone. And then there was the play where uh, the 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 nearest defensive back to him was Trent McDuffie, but I, I think. There was a blown coverage there. There was an assignment missed. Mm-hmm. I think McDuffie felt like he had help there, and there was no help to be found. Uh, whether he had the wrong technique or the uh, you know the wrong play call or whatever, so they struggled a little bit to stop uh, Jerry Judy in the red zone. That was their only, the really the only offensive threat for the the Broncos, other than Russell Wilson running, uh, was was Judy on these uh, intermediate passes, uh, especially in the red zone. Yeah, no, the, the the corners didn't have their greatest day, which is kind of surprising against a you know a pass offense without any life and without Cortland Sutton too. Um, you know their best receiver, their number one guy, but you know I their young corners are going to have you know up and down games. I do think you know some of it kind of does have to do with the safety play, maybe. Uh, you know the safeties are are you know Justin Reed and Juan Thornhill. You know they've they're just kind of there a lot of times, right? Um, you know. And I think that does affect the corner sometimes. It can be a good thing at times. You know, they're in right where they need to be and, and, and they, they can help. But, you know, I, I do think there are times where, you know, this, the lack of playmaking from the safety group can, can hurt the entire defense and, and the corners as well, too, I think. You know, even, even just, you know, helping take away a, a quick slant, you know, by reading it and jumping in front of it right from, a, from, a, you know, from coming downhill from that safety position or getting over the top quickly of a, over, you know, a, a, a pass down the field rather than kind of just, you know, being in no man's land because you didn't read it quick enough and the ball, you know, you can't get there, you know, you can't get to the ball. So I do think that has some of to do with, with some of the struggles in the past defense when you see it, because we have seen impressive reps from the past defense too and, and coverage, you know, these cornerbacks. But when you do see some of those issues, it does just remind you that, man, these safeties really don't create turnovers. They really don't ever, you know, defend passes. Um, you, you, Juan Thornhill has been a little more productive, but Justin Reed really never gets his hands on the ball in, in, in pass. And I know he's more of the strong safety than, than Thornhill is. They do rotate him down more. But I think with Spagnuolo's defense, his scheme, his, his strategies, I think he really likes to have a guy that, that can you know, read, def, you know, read a play and make a play like Tyron Matthew from that safety position because you can be anywhere on a given play when you play safety, right? You're in the middle of the field. You can be on one side or the other pre-snap. You can come in the box or be deep. And so you're, you're kind of – and they use a luxurious need in that way a lot um, for sure. But you got to have your true safeties do that too. And I think that might be some of the difference why, you know, and, and you know, some of the, the big plays we saw them this week, but the lack of big plays for the season, I think some of it has to do with the safeties maybe not – just playing two by the book, I think is – I like to put it that way. I just feel like they might just be too, you know, kind of – uh, computer generated, just kind of, you know, robotic, like, all right, I'm going to do my assignment and, and not really make any plays outside of that. And I'd like to see, I don't know, I'd like to see either of them kind of, you know, get in on more plays, run or pass against the run or the pass. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I've seen a lot of people this week on Twitter and in the comments section of arrowheadpride.com talking about how bad the chief safeties are. They just need to throw them out and, and how soon can they get out of this contract and, and when do they replace all of these guys? It's interesting when you look at, you know, obviously PFF stats, which are questionable, but uh, if you're talking about safeties and coverage, they're not getting burned, right? When, when they're matched up against yeah. someone, they're not getting burned. Um, Justin Reed specifically has been kind of invisible this season in, in coverage. He's been kind of invisible as far as forcing turnovers, but also just not getting, he's not getting lit up necessarily. Um, the times that you notice him and to some extent Thornhill, especially this week is when they miss tackles. So yeah. your safety, you, by definition, your last line of defense, you know, you don't want your safeties making, leading the team in tackles, right? That's usually a bad sign. It usually yes. means that they're uh, the defense or the offense is getting too far into your backfield. But when Thornhill tries to bring down running backs by the shoulder pads, things in badly for, for him. Um, yeah. Justin Reed's also missed a few tackles. So tackling was an issue again this week, but I think pass coverage and, and the work that they're doing uh, wasn't, wasn't terrible. The, the Chiefs also, by the way, defended or knocked down seven passes this week uh they also had seven tackles for loss which is you know those are numbers that are uh that are higher than than they've had in recent games so that yeah i think their corners uh and, and and even their linebackers to some extent were getting after it in the past game it just didn't show up in in the splash plays or as you're talking about those downhill like blowing up a screen uh right. type, type plays but it, on one hand you know, would you rather have a safety that you don't notice at all that that just does his job and and you know other guys are making plays, or would you rather have the safety uh, who is the target of the opposing quarterback because they know that you throw in his direction, you're going to get a completion every single time, even right. if he sometimes gets a a pick six here and there. You know who I'm talking about. Go ahead. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, it's that's the interesting question here. And it, and it's the thing with this defense, you know, my first point with the volatility, right. The thing I want more of, I want more of these high variance kind of game plans where, you know, there could be, you know, bigger negative plays, but they get outweighed by maybe hopefully at least the positive plays. Right. Well, the problem with the safety group in a microcosm is that you mentioned the missed tackles. That's a, that's the low, you know, that's the negative part of variance of a vol of a volatile player, right. Missing tackles, but you're not getting, the high, the upside of it. You're not getting the splash plays. You know, Tyron Matthew didn't make a lot of tackles last year, but guess what you got? Turnovers. He jumped the pass every once in a while. He he created. And that's another thing too. It's underrated about Matthew's impact. He was coming up and 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 forcing running backs to kind of stop in their tracks on some of these off tackle runs. Thor Reed is in those similar positions to do some of that stuff, and he just doesn't. He's just not as impactful as a guy. Um, you know, even against the run. Like I said, like you know, I just. I just remember Matthew sometimes just completely cutting off a run and just putting him in no man's land, you know, just by not even doing anything physically, just knowing what angle to take, being there at the right time and just kind of threatening the running back with his presence. Right. Reed just he takes on a block and, and you know, does it probably fundamentally well. But, you know, it's just, again, by the book, I think a little too much. And uh, that's where, you know, a guy like Dirty Dan Sorensen, as much as I think we're all, you know, we're all glad we moved on. No one no one is saying otherwise, but. The, he, uh, the low side of the volatility he had w was crappy, but he did have the high side too, man. He'd have a fumble recovery once in a while. He'd have a sack every once in a while. He'd 
run into a pick six somehow, although he was he was a pretty lucky player throughout his career, but he (laughs) still had those high upside plays. We're just not seeing that from the safety group. And if they're not going to be high floor guys, which means making tackles, then that's what frustrates me. Like I want to see be one of the other volatile or solid. And I feel like they're not either. Yeah, I mean, Thornhill this week had a sack. Last week had an interception that was uh, overturned. Uh, so so maybe he's starting to make a few more plays. Uh, the tackling has been an issue, and that's something that they've got to get better at. Something that I've noticed, though, for all the talk about uh, Matthew and, and Sorensen being you know great leaders on the field or smart enough that they could be defensive coordinators on the field, you saw a lot of confusion in the Chiefs secondary over the last few years. A lot of guys – you know, at the end of a play, throwing their hands up saying, whose man was that, you know, blown coverages, that kind of thing. That has not been as much of an issue this year. They've been pretty solid in that regard. And they've seemed to know what page to be on, even though they're playing three rookies in that, in that secondary, there was, you know, a couple of those plays this week, I would say they had, you know, one, one blown coverage this week, at least one last week. So it's something to watch, but to me, it, it, it does say something about the leadership of, of, of Reed and probably Nick Bolton as well, yeah. that this defense seems to be more on the same page than the Sorensen-Matthew uh, defense was. Yeah, that's definitely true. That is definitely true. Um, we have seen it recently. The Bengals game, that last touchdown, they, they kind of did get caught in the hurry up and, and the blitz came too late. They weren't ready. But no, you're right. And, and I think that's more Bolton um, than anything. And, you know, I, I think also, too, I think Thornhill maybe deserves a little even more credit than Reed for that kind of stuff. Because I remember in training camp that – and the Thornhill does seem to be more vocal. But I remember in training camp, Spags being asked, you know, how has Justin Reed stepped in that leadership role? And he he dodged the asking or answering about Reed and just said, well, Juan Thornhill has really been the, the vocal leader out here. So, you know, I, I think Thornhill is stepping up more than anything in that in that leadership role, I would imagine. But, again, I'm not in there. I don't, I don't know for sure. But it just – that would be my best guess. Couple other quick takeaways from this week. Um, Brandon Williams made his Chiefs yes. debut, picked up uh, 15 snaps. I think about 20 percent of the defensive plays had a, a half a sack and, and maybe had a chance at, at, at another. Had some some pressure on the quarterback. Like that's not what you expect from him, but he looked the part. It looks like the the midseason addition that you had hoped he would be, right? Yeah, no, the first two plays he was in, I think it was the first two plays, I saw him shed blocks both times. If if uh, Thornhill's sack, if Thornhill, for whatever reason, didn't finish the tackle, he would have been right there to clean it up, which I think would have been a really cool moment to, to start his Chiefs tenure. But uh, he still got the half a sack, so he'll take that. But yeah, that was, that was really cool to see uh, Williams. It, it's Mike Pinnell all over again, man. I'm telling you, we're going to love this guy. We're going to call him MV, MV Brandon Williams somehow. You know, so, so MV Pinnell doesn't have the same ring, but... Yeah. There yeah. you go. But uh, no, I, I think it's going to be a key part to this down the stretch for sure. It was also a pretty good special teams game. Uh, pretty clean. Butker was uh, six for six. Uh, they didn't fumble on any return. So, you know, this is a, a pretty solid performance from, from Dave Tobe's group. And we'll talk about Townsend more in just a minute. Um, and then, of course, the headline really should be about Kelsey. Uh, it wasn't his best day. He had uh, four catches on nine targets, so not his most efficient day with a couple of drops. Still had 71 yards, um, but it's really the the Lifetime Achievement Award, as Clark Hunt called in the locker room afterwards. He is the 
He just passed uh, 10,000 yards. He's the, the fifth tight end to do so and the one to do it in the least number of games. He's only played 140 games already at 10,000 yards. Seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. And when asked about it, Kelsey immediately said, this win means more than either of those stats. Uh, so consummate professional, consummate uh, team player, uh, but just the, the greatest to ever do it. I mean, I think I think he is he's he's there if he's not on track for it. Yeah, and I'm not just I'm not just agreeing with you because he shouted me out on his podcast. Uh, I, I I do agree with, with that. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it it has been it's been amazing. You know, when I, you know, I was a what? Let's see, a freshman or sophomore in high school when he first came on the scene, and just to see him evolve from kind of like the the you know the play the playmaker you know hothead kind of you know volatile you know i keep using this word volatile but he was the definition of it early in his career you know drops fumbles but then he had the huge plays where it was just like this guy is unbelievable just to see him go from that to this consistent every game and i know he didn't have the greatest game this game he never does against denver recently they know how to muck it up but he just so consistent every game every season you know and just always you know never hurt always durable it's amazing, dude. It, it, it's been really cool to see his entire career kind of live through it, his entire career and see it all progress. Yeah, the last time Travis Kelsey didn't have a thousand yards, Ron was probably in elementary school at this point. <laughs> uh, so, you know, is it, it's, been a, it's been a great run for him and for this Chiefs team. We'll, we'll talk about the streak that they're on. Um, any final takeaways from this week before we get to the, to the stats? Uh, to the stats of the week or maybe let's let's just jump in and see what yeah, else do it are. shoot yeah i got a great stat we talked jarek mckinnon a little bit before um you know he led the team in receiving on the day but how about for the year jarek mckinnon is now up to having the third most catches on the team so he's only behind um kelsey and juju now for receptions on the team he has four receiving touchdowns which is tied for the second most on the team only kelsey has more than mckinnon on the chiefs this year and he's also moved the chains by a completion the fourth most on the team this year. So only Kelsey Juju and MVS have moved the chains in the past game more than McKinnon has this year gained a first down um, via catch. So all of a sudden McKinnon is a huge part of this past game. Um, I know he's been all year right in the pass protection part for the most part, but since Clyde's injury, he's just gotten all the receiving work, right? Pretty much. I mean, Pacheco's gotten a little bit of it and he is a, he is very good at that part and, and it's really good to have him. Right. I think the chiefs feel really really smart for you know keeping him around you know bringing him back cheap this year because he is he is a valuable weapon for sure yeah that's great i i would not have guessed that and i think coming into the season you were looking for who's the next big receiving threat on this team and sure uh, mccall hardman's uh, been, missed quite a bit of time with injuries uh, so that hurt his ability to be on that list uh, and sky Moore, for whatever reason is still not involved so so yeah mckinnon has stepped up and i think the the screen game with him, the way he runs uh, after the catch, uh, obviously we saw it this week. It, it was uh, it's something that the, this Chiefs team desperately needs. Yeah, and 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 speaking of the offense, you know, I I know everyone, you know, we talk about you know if the offense is performing at its peak or not. Well, all I know is they're averaging six point five yards per play, which is the most in the NFL. The second most is six point two by the Dolphins, which the Dolphins have just as high a lead or it's there's a difference between the Dolphins in second place and the 10th place team. That's as just, that's the same difference as there is between the Dolphins and the Chiefs in first place. So if you're worried about how good the Chiefs offense has been, I don't think anyone's too worried about it, but you know, Mahomes interceptions, you know, maybe it's, you know, you're 
you know, you, you kind of overthink it a little bit. This offense has still been historically efficient and, and the most efficient in the NFL. You see the Bills struggle recently. You see the Dolphins on Sunday night look, you know, Tua look terrible. Yeah, this Chiefs offense, you know, it, it, it's still moving and grooving. So we're good. Well, my stat of the week comes from the special teams. Again, I'm going back to this well. Uh, Tommy Townsend puts up his career high with a 76-yard punt. He punted three times, averaged 66.3, and that includes one that was a touchback. So he had some monster punts this week. What got me thinking about this was, what are some things that happen to keep a bad offense in a, in a game? And we already talked about the fact that if you turn the ball over, you give the team a short field, you give them life, uh, bad things are going to happen. And I think that's a lot of what got the Broncos, even in this game, two short field touchdowns yeah. on back-to-back Mahomes interceptions in the first half, right? The opposite is also true. If you flip the field and put them in a, in, in a uh, situation where they have to drive the length of the field, good things happen. So on each of Tommy Townsend's three punts, the defense held the, uh, the Broncos to a three and out. All three times, three and out, no chance to, to put a drive together. The total yardage gained on those three drives netted one yard. So That's Tommy Townsend flipping the field, giving the defense a good position where they were able to just shut down this Broncos offense. And it's a good lesson, I think, for the offense in Mahomes that when you're playing, you know, a, a, a game against a, maybe a bad offense on the other side, and, and especially when you have the lead too, you know, don't force stuff because hey, if you have to punt, you know, you're for, you're making another offense have to go the length of the field, and and you feel like your defense is playing well because they were playing well at that point, you know, and especially if your punter is playing well, then you got all the pieces to to just play it a little safer and say, look, if we can't get it on this drive, we're up. You know, we have, we're up 27-7 or whatever, 27 nothing. We can punt. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good lesson because Tommy hasn't had a lot of punt opportunities, but he, he has been pretty good this year. I think people will hate on him or, you know, give him a little crap, but he was a young player. You know, he, he's still a young player, still learning, doesn't get a lot of reps. And I think in, in, he's done a good, good job this year for the most part. Well, any last stats before we get to the break uh, and do our would you rather? Well, no, because I want to talk turnover differential, but I think that's a little longer of a discussion uh, than than we need. So I, let me give you the would you rather stacks because it's a fun one and it involves an old friend. And so as we get to the playoff stretch here, as we get to hopefully another Super Bowl run, would you rather have Melvin Gordon on the practice squad or Damian Williams, who was just released by the Atlanta Falcons? Playoff Damien is uh, on the waivers right now. Would you rather have him or Gordon on the practice squad? We will answer that on the other side. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, 
It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we're back on the Auto Structure Podcast. Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. Old Ronnie here asked me right before the break if I would rather re-sign Super Bowl hero Damian Williams or retain Ronald Jones on my team. My first thought on this is that my answer would be neither uh, because I, I think you've got a good combination of running backs right now. And when Clyde is healthy again, you've got three players that are that can do a lot for this offense. And, and I don't think running back is the position where I'd waste a lot of resources or, or spend a lot of time trying to get a veteran back in the mix. They also recently signed Melvin Gordon, formerly of the Denver Broncos, and so they've got options there. But um, if I had to pick one or the other for this season alone, I think you got to go with Damian Williams. Uh, he's better player in the past game, more explosive, arguably, or at least has been. Certainly been a big part of the Chiefs' offense in the past, where Ronald Jones is a little more limited of a player, more of your straight-ahead runner that they probably wouldn't use that much even if he were active. And I know he wanted out at one point, but I know Andy Reid has sort of been still been talking him up. Uh, I don't know where Ronald Jones stands at this point, but I know they've made an effort to sign or, or claim on waivers multiple running backs uh, yeah. already. And so it tells me that they're not super excited about him in reality. Yeah, no, that's the key point there is that they have been active on the running back transaction, you know, um, action. I should transaction action. I like that. Um, but. I would say Damian Williams too, because to me, I think this is just a perfect break glass in case of emergency player on your practice squad. I think that's what they wanted in that position. Why they have Melvin Gordon there because he's a veteran back that, you know, can, can step in and, and pass block and, and catch the ball. You know, I, I think that's what they want, but they, who better than Damian Williams, who obviously just a few years ago was, was this team's lead back and one of the most productive, you know, you know, players in the past game on this whole team. Um, and he's 30 years old now, which, you know, I totally get. And he hasn't really played much in the last few years. But this year, he did start with the Falcons. He was their primary back at the beginning of the year. He hurts his ribs in the first game. I guess I'm, I'm actually, I just read an article. So his off- two offensive linemen landed on him during a carry at the line of scrimmage. And I guess he had to leave the game, but he re-entered late in the game and was questionable for the next week. But then they ultimately put him on the injured reserve and then he hasn't played again this year. So it's not like he, you know, bang, you know, it, this knee injury or ankle injury that, you know, it's going to take a while to recover from. And you don't know if he's at full speed. It sounds like it was just <laughs> a light rib injury. And for some reason, Atlanta just made a decision with him. And because there's a quote from him here, too, that says um, Williams said mentally he's ready to go, but needs to be smart physically and has to keep seeing how it feels before he's ready to return. And so maybe there was something with him just, you know, taking it easy you know, maybe hoping for a release, wanting to stay healthy and re- reunite with a uh, Super Bowl contender that he has familiarity with. Um, I don't know if that was on the back of his mind, but I would say go for it, man. If, if Melvin Gordon's on this team anyway, get Damian Williams in his spot. I, I don't think either party – I think Damian would, be, would love to be in that position. I, I can't imagine he would say no to that. We'll see what happens. I know the Chiefs are going to be low on the waiver order, so right. somebody else might uh, put in a claim ahead of them. A lot of injuries around the NFL at that position, as there are every single year. Well, let's get to your questions. Um, Damian O'Brien 
at QTR underscore Robit on Twitter. What can be changed about this defense? Is this coaching? Do they need a, a leader like Honey Badger to keep them on point? Why are they a top three defense on first and second down, but bottom 10 on third and four? Well, that's the frustrating part is, is a Spagnolo defense really needs, you know, really needs to succeed on third and fourth down or, you know, those late downs, those pass downs, because, you know, that's when he gets creative. That's when his big plays happen. That, when I talk about volatility, that's when he tries to create it on those pass downs. He tries to blitz and force a sack or a, for, a strip sack or a quarterback to force a throw and get an interception. And so when you don't play well in those early downs, right, and, and we talked about it all year, it's the defensive tackles maybe not being as stout, you know, and that hurts the linebackers against the run. And, and you know, these defensive ends maybe just aren't, you know, making as many plays as they could against the run either, um, in my opinion. But when you're not good on those early downs and you're, and you're allowing those six, seven yards on, on first down, then you're, it, the, the offense is more unpredictable to play call on third and three, third and four, right? They could run, they could throw, they could throw a quick pass. They could throw it long when you're in third and 10, third and nine, you know, something like that. It's way more predictable for what the offense is going to do, right? There's only so many options you have. You're not probably going to run it. You're not probably going to throw it short of the sticks. You're probably going to throw it downfield. So all that to say is, is it, Spagnuolo's defense thrives on having those third and longs. They need to do better on setting themselves up by playing stouter on, on early downs that's why I think Brandon Williams needs to play more. I think, you know, that could even – it could even be, you know, bringing Danny Sheldon up too. Like, bring them both up. I don't know. I mean, get more stout. I think it, it would just help – it would really help the, the later down defense. And you saw it against Denver. You know, when they were in those third and longs, they got some big plays. You know, they made sacks, obviously. But Denver is one of the worst offenses they'll see all year. So, they need to do better at it against the good teams. And so, I really think it just comes down to, you know, more stout on the early downs. You know, wh whatever they got to do. Brandon Williams will be a huge part of that. And that'll help their third down defense by just making the offense less predictable or more predictable, I should say. Yeah, there's again going drive by drive through this uh, this week's game. Yes, it's a bad uh, Denver offense, especially after Russell Wilson went out. There was no chance that that Rippon was going to move the ball down the field. But drive by drive, they had a lot of three and outs. They had uh, uh, the opening drive of the game. They allowed a twelve play drive. But it only went for 32 yards, and they didn't score a single point on that drive. So it feels like they're close. It feels like this game was a step in the right direction for all of the the hand wringing over this defense. I feel like they're they're they made steps in the right direction. Uh, there was a couple of plays here and there. Again, short field touchdowns, uh, the blown play on Marlon Mack screen, and then the 40 yard pass interference on Trent McDuffie, which was questionable. Uh, of a call, but that was on fourth down. So they held this team to something like 35% conversions on third down. They were one or two on fourth downs with one of those being this pass interference. So I'm not sure that this is the week to complain about the third down defense as much uh, as, as maybe last week. So it's one of those things where maybe they're improving already. And maybe Brandon Williams is part of that, that they're, they're holding, uh, on early downs, uh, but they got themselves in, in pretty good situations uh, throughout the bulk of this game. Uh, they just gave up uh, a few plays the, the, that they can clean up in, in future games. Yeah, no, he, he says that they have to be top three defense on first and second down. I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, their run defense has been gashed enough to where I doubt they have been a very good defense <laughs> on the early downs. So that's yeah. where I just I, I think if they improve on that, it'll help the third third and fourth. Well, KS 
Chaser <laughs> on, um, on Twitter asked, at this point, are the Chiefs just are who they are? Is this a team that just has all the tools but doesn't put it all together, that has too many self-inflicted mistakes? Um, that's his first question. We'll get to his second question in just a minute. But is, is this just who the Chiefs are, kind of sloppy uh, but talented? Well, sloppy, and this is maybe we've been talking about turnover differential, differential, but sloppy has never been really who they are. So it is weird to see them negative five turnover differential this season, which is tied for the actually I, it was updated. It's the fourth. It's by itself for the fourth worst turnover differential in the NFL, um, and and that's a pretty key metric for success in football. Any any to any level, you know, the Eagles are plus fourteen right now, and 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 that's a big reason why they're playing so well and have such a good record the mistake they always you know i I think we've always seen some mistakes some self-inflicted mistakes mahomes you know he'll he'll have boneheaded plays you know and 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 this defense will give up you know um big performances every once in a while right i mean we've seen all that but the turnovers really the 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 not forcing more turnovers it, it comes back to the volatility of the defense not creating more big plays on the defensive side while also not you know while also creating more negative plays on the offensive side that is weird. That is where it's it's not a normal team as usual. But at the same time, Stags, I know you have more on this, but this this season isn't that much different than than any you know any other season in the Mahomes era. I mean, it, it it's it's we're coming down to it. They have a good record. You know, they they have a really good offense. Their defense is up and down. Tell me that doesn't sound like every other year in the Mahomes era. <laughs> it, it does, and we can get into that. Uh, I, there's a lot of questions on this topic, so. Uh, maybe while we're talking here, uh, Jake Wilson is the sloppiness, poor ball security, and consistent tackling. Is that them not peaking too early? Uh, should we assume that this is Andy Reid's kind of master plan all along? Right? Is when just do whatever the minimum it takes to win now, and then then you know fix it later on. Is is that the is that the idea? Well, I definitely don't think the effort stuff like the, you know, the missed tackles, like you can't say that's Andy, you know, golden stuff back. But I do think there is something to mentally. They may be coasting a little bit with the division pretty much locked up. You wouldn't think with with the one seed still up for grabs and still they need to do something about it. You wouldn't think they'd feel like in a coasting mentality, but I feel like it may just be natural, you know, late in the season. This team has been in the playoffs the last four years. I know there's a lot of new faces, but, you know, it. There, there may be something to a complacency at this, you know, um, where they kind of maybe do coast a little more than they probably should at this point of the year. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's maybe some truth to Andy Reid doesn't want to show more than what he has to in a, to, to yeah. accomplish the goal Absolutely. of winning the game. I really do believe that he and the rest of the team, if they win the game, it's good. Like it doesn't really matter how they right. do it. The exactly. stats don't matter. The you know third down conversion percentages and all that stuff. Like you walk out with a W, it, it doesn't really make any difference what happened during that game. You move on to the next one. Each win is something to to you know uh, to appreciate, and uh, so they'll. I think as long as they're doing what it takes to win, then it's probably not as big of a cause for concern as we think, because they tend to play up to their level of competition or down to their level of competition. Yep. If this were a Buffalo game, you know, I, I think you you maybe see them attacking it in a different way than the fact that it was a Denver game. So Thomas Ramirez also asked, is it just me or do the Chiefs not like big leads? They don't seem to have that killer instinct to, to pour it on. You know, they do tend to play close games um, and, and they don't 
tend to run away with with the the game, even if Ron tries to turn the TV off when they're up twenty seven <laughs> nothing and stop the count. The count doesn't stop then. Uh, they don't they don't seem to be that type of team that's going to just blow an opponent out. No, and it's it's to your point we just talked about. I we've all it's this has been the entire Andy Reid era, and that's why sometimes it's it's a little like, hey guys, can we remember that he does this all the time? <laughs> yeah, we What's, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say we we can get right into that. I mean, this is a team that just won their tenth win for the eighth straight season, and that's a, a ridiculous accomplishment when you really think about it. They're they're about to win their seventh div- straight division title. Uh, this is a team that is is historically dominant, and they've done it this way all along is my argument. So I went back and looked and said, all right, so far this season, how many times have they won convincingly by multiple scores compared to how many times they won a close game, lost a close game, or lost convincingly? So far this season, they've won five games by multiple scores, They've won five games that were close within one score, and they've lost three games, all of them, within one score. Mm-hmm. Look back to 2021. They had seven games they won by multiple scores, five that were close, three close losses and two blowout losses. 2020, six wins convincing, eight close wins, two bad losses. 2019, this is where it really parallels, I think, Mm-hmm. Seven convincing wins, so seven multiple score wins, five close wins, four close losses. 2018 was the exact same. Seven convincing wins, five close wins, four close losses, no blowouts. So they are completely on track. My belabored point here is that they're completely on track to do exactly what they've done for the last five years, which is win seven-ish games by double digits have a handful of other probably five wins that were close and then you know three to four wins or three to four losses most of them close right this is who this team is is a division winning double digit winning t- uh, team that has more wins by double by by multiple scores than they do by one score uh, and and doesn't lose a lot of, of really bad games or a lot of blowout losses. Um, and so they're really on pace to do what they've done in the Andy Reid era, which is win their division, not yeah. have a lot of bad losses, and march into the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I, that consistency speaks to a, a bigger point about Andy Reid in general is that, I mean, it's easy to forget how long this dude has been an NFL head coach. And at some point, man, you know, he gets he has a routine down and – that routine is not just, you know, the training camp schedule, right? It's the entire season. And there's there's ebbs and flows to every season. He has seen it all, right? He's seen he's been through losing streaks. He's been through winning streaks, but he knows how to write the ship. He knows how to, you know, he knows the different times of the year to say certain things and get his players up for certain games. You know, he he knows this. He's he's been down this road. And so you're right. It's all about the wins. And especially when he's won the division six years in a row, he's he knows what he needs to do. He knows he just needs to win enough to hopefully be in contending for the one seed, which that's what they're trying to do, right? They're in a good position. They just need Buffalo to lose one more game. You wish that you wouldn't have had that happen, but you can't expect a 15-2 and two season. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those natural things. The record's going to be the record. But 
all that to say, I just think it's a good point because, you know, there's ebbs and flows to every season. But this isn't that different from previous seasons. Right. And Andy's been down this road. And all that matters is where they're at when the postseason starts. And they're on track to be in as good a position as they have the last four years. Yeah, and if, if all we care as fans about is, is wins and losses, was there ever a point in this game when you thought they would actually lose this game? Because <laughs> well... I, I didn't. I didn't yeah, think okay, that's ever, good. ever a chance. Because they were up multiple scores all the way through – and then, um, you know, to the late in the second half. And then when Russell Wilson gets knocked out, you know, even though ripping through that touchdown, there was no chance he was going to move the ball uh, for a comeback victory at that point That's where true. Mahomes had multiple tries at it. Uh, I, I just, I wasn't worried about that happening, but there's a reason they've beat the Broncos 14 straight times. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. 14 yeah. straight times. And, and Mahomes is 10 and 0 against them. And how they've been completely dominating the division, even though, Division games are always close. I mean, the right. Raiders have been pretty terrible for a lot of this season, and it was a one-point game earlier this year. Do, does anybody yeah. remember that? Like, is that <laughs> is that top of mind? The fact that the the Chiefs this season, the one time they've played they played the Raiders, it was a one-point victory. Yeah. So division games are weird. Division games are close. You do what it takes to win that, and you move on to the next week. Uh, and and really, the goal obviously is. Win your division, get that one seed if you can, and then make a run towards the Super Bowl. So Jamison Reaver asks, can the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? It feels like it's going to take mistake-free football against the best teams, and they don't seem to be capable of that right now. So I can see this argument, but I can see the other side too. What do you think, Ron? Well, you know, results, it's hard to argue against results. And there is one glaring thing about this Chiefs team that is kind of a hard pill to swallow. The Chiefs have lost five of the last six games against what we consider the two best teams in the AFC besides the Chiefs, the Bengals and the Bills. And the only win they have in that stretch came miraculously with 13 seconds to go. We all know the story. When, when you say, can they win the Super Bowl, they have to beat those two teams pretty much. And so that I, I get people saying, wow, like this team – you know, we can ignore all the flaws and say they still have a good record. But when it, when they played the Bengals and the Bills, they still struggle. They still have had these recurring themes that, that make them lose the game. That's where I can see people's hesitancy. But again, you know, I, you watch the you see the Mahomes playoff record. You see the Chiefs in the playoffs and you see that, you know, the only time they've ever been tripped up is, you know, the biggest choke, you know, we've seen in, in, in Mahomes's NFL career last year. And and then it's Tom Brady. I mean. This team still has a, the better playoff resume over even the you know the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. They you know the Chiefs still have a better playoff resume overall than even Joe Burrow. He wasn't all that to say. I guess is yes, they can still win the Super Bowl. Um, but I understand people's hesitancy when they say you know they have to. He makes the point you know against the best teams right now they haven't really been great against the best teams in the AFC in recent games. Well, this is the perfect transition, I think, because. In my opinion, and I, I don't even know if it's arguable, this team will go as far as Mahomes carries them. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, you talk about the, the question came up from uh, New Jericho man: Did Mahomes cost himself the MVP yesterday? Well, what is the definition of MVP? <laughs> Who means the most to their team's chances of winning or losing? When Mahomes plays the way Mahomes is capable of, they're not losing. Yes. When Mahomes falters, 
they can lose. And that happened against the Bengals pretty much every time they played the Bengals. It's happened, <laughs> uh, you know, occasionally here and there. And and this week, this play, this game was close only because Mahomes made mistakes. The defense is better than it was before uh, when they've won the Super Bowl. The running game has arguably got a chance to be better than when they won the Super Bowl. It's really going to live or die by how Mahomes plays in those big situations. If you get Mahomes of the 13-second fame, they're going to win the Super Bowl. If you get Mahomes of the second half of the Bengals game last year, they are not going to make it to the Super Bowl this year. So it, I, I don't, I hate to break it down, you know, to, to one player here, but well, that's that really the NFL. Is the difference. That's the NFL. It's, it's 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 you don't see many teams without a star quarterback win the Super Bowl. When they do, it's a complete anomaly. Um, and so I, I, you're right, and and that's why this year it's coming down to a few teams that have great quarterbacks. And to answer new Jericho man's question did Patrick Mahomes cost himself the MVP yesterday and a lot of people's eyes including Las Vegas he did Hertz is now the MVP favorite of of the NFL and you know it's hard to blame you know people in the sports books for putting a guy that is that is leading a, a, a you know a one loss Eagles team that doesn't look like they're gonna you know they do play Dallas in a few weeks which that's where Mahomes can maybe get back in this race if Dallas gives Hertz too much trouble um, and, and Mahomes kind of finishes the year strong but let me just break down some stats because I do still think Mahomes, in my opinion, because of what you just mentioned, valuable, you know, the value to the team. I know it's not always how, you know, the MVP award is awarded, but that's how it should be. And I think Mahomes is still more valuable to his team than Jalen Hurts is, right? Well, here's some stats to maybe, you know, help his case. Mahomes is still the leader in passing yards by over 400 yards. Still the leader in pass touchdowns by over six or just six, I should say. He has 34 more passes that resulted in a first down. He has 34 more than the second place quarterback. He's only he's only behind Tua in yards per attempt, but he's tied with Hurts. But Tua has been hurt this year, so that efficiency stat can be a little skewed. He is lower in passer rating, but he's still first in QBR, which is ESPN's passer rating metric. He's actually been sacked a significantly fewer amount of times this year. And he actually turns sacks or pressure into sacks at a way less rate than Hertz does, which I think is a good quarterback stat. If you're avoiding sacks, excuse me, if you're avoiding sacks, I do think that's a that's a big part of playing quarterback. But here I'll go to the big the big numbers, in my opinion. And I know PFF, hey, it's it's not, you know, these are numbers. These are not the grades. These are statistics. Big time throw percentage is, is basically a way they judge, you know, how, you know, just a, an, an elite throw, you know, down the field, very accurate, you know, a. a you know, in an important spot. Mahomes still has a bigger big-time throw percentage than Hurts, and that also is the case under pressure. And Mahomes has actually 11 big-time throws under pressure this year. Hurts only has two. Hurts is going to have the rushing stats, I know, and that's really going to help him, and obviously the Eagles record too. But in terms of playing the quarterback position, in terms of just winning games, at, you know, and, and winning your team games and being the best at your position and just, again, just – leading this team when the defense has been super spotty. The Eagles defense has been great. The offensive line has been spotty. The Eagles offensive line is great. That is what, in my opinion, kind of gives Mahomes the edge still. But I totally, I, I get why Hurts is the, the favorite now. I do. He has the narrative. And I do think Mahomes already has some of that fatigue where people don't want to vote him as MVP, as crazy as that sounds. He's only won one. But I still think he has a case. And I think if he just finishes the season strong, no more three interception games, Mahomes. But if he finishes the season strong, 
I still think he could he could win it. Um, he's got the stats to do it. So I, I'm still going to keep faith that he can do it. What do you think, Stags? What do the voters for the MVP award look at? Are they analytics guys? Are they digging into what you just gave us? Or are they saying, what's the big story in the NFL this year? And, and I, right. to me, I think they're more it's big a mix, picture. Though. Yeah. And, and, and I think I think most of the voters are going to say the big story in the NFL this year is the Eagles and, right. and the and the rise of Jalen Hurts out of kind of you know mediocrity, right? And and in Mahomes, yeah, Mahomes did what Mahomes always does. The Chiefs are good, like they always are. But right, right. the Eagles were the big story. So I I think it's Jalen Hurts' award to lose at this point. Now mm-hmm. there's a lot that can change, and and Mahomes yeah. does have something to say about that. Uh, but you know, I I think in this game with the three turnovers. Uh, with losing to the the Bengals last week, I think these last two weeks have really hurt his chances overall in the eyes of the voters, whether that's fair or not. I mean, I, I still think you can make the case that Mahomes doing what he's doing without Tyreek Hill should be one of the big stories of the year. But that, if, the, yeah. if the Eagles are a one-loss team uh, by the end of this season, Hurts is going to win it, I think. Yeah, that's where if you're a Chiefs fan and you and you really want Mahomes to win it, or maybe you have a, a ticket and, and and have some money on the line, maybe that's where that Dallas game for the Eagles comes in huge. If Dallas can can disrupt them at all, I think that really helps. But yeah. no, I I think you're right. But that's the thing with this year, they actually did change the voting this year. It is not just one vote per guy. It is actually first, second, third. I don't know how many places, but each guy gets a first, second, and third place vote. So I think that actually helps Mahomes because I think he's going to get, you know maybe more just total votes than maybe Hertz, although, you know, Hertz has played so well again and the, you know, the, the narrative, you're right. But that's the thing with, with the writers, the voters, right? Some of them are kind of those narrative guys and some of them are more the new age, you know, they will look at the stats and really, you know, value that stuff. So it is a toss up, but it, it's, it's kind of fun to have a, a tight MVP race like this. And uh, I, I just think Mahomes is still very much in it, but hurt your, I agree with you though. Hertz it's his to lose right now. I mean, the betting odds back it up. Thomas Ramirez asked another question about Mahomes is was he trying to force too many plays when the, when the, they had the lead or did he get too relaxed? Like what, what happened to cause Mahomes uh, to, to throw three interceptions and to, to struggle, uh, you know, after they had that big lead, because everything was going well before then. Like there was no, there was no struggles uh, for Mahomes against this defense until, until he started throwing interceptions. So do you think it was, which one do you think it was? Do you think it was trying to make a big play or or letting up when he shouldn't have? No, I think he was. I think it was trying too hard. I, I do. Um, I, I think it was just pushing the issue a little much. You know, he has that killer instinct. Um, you know that that we we you know crucify Andy Reid for not having, but that's why they're such a good combo because I do think they balance each other out. Right? Andy's conservativeness mm-hmm. does help Mahomes's killer instinct sometimes, but Mahomes' killer instinct also you know, negates some of the times Andy may be too conservative. So it goes hand in hand. But I think in this situation, yeah, he was he was a little too he was pushing a little too much in a in a game where they just needed to play it safe, write it out and, and get to the next one. Yeah, you could argue play calling. You could argue a couple of things. Uh, the, the one thing that really bugged me about Mahomes this week and I think in the last couple of weeks was uh, don't throw the ball away in the middle of the field. Like <laughs> he's had a couple of these interceptions that were that he's admitted afterwards, he's like, yeah, I was just trying to burn it and throw it at the guy's feet because it wasn't there, and somebody got underneath it. So I, 
I, it feels like there's a better way to get rid of the ball there. Um, and in the same way with that last interception, they're in field goal range. You know, there's no reason to, to run around and scramble and try to hit that, that pass on, on third and four. Yeah. Just, you know, throw the ball away, kick the field goal, and, and ride off in the sunset. So just interesting decision-making, I think, uh, from Mahomes uh, is really the main thing. And he knows it, too. He's beating himself up over it. So it's not always going to be the case, but when he makes a mistake, it's usually decision-making. Now, I will argue that at least two of those three interceptions were just phenomenal defensive plays as well. Like the catch by Josie, the catch by uh, Sertain in the first half, both of those were like spectacular catches. So, you know, it's not going to happen very often. And this is a very good defense, you know, so, you know, you can chalk it up to that, but also learn your lesson. Don't burn the ball <laughs> in the middle of the field, down the field. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, you're right. He he does he does have a habit of that, and it has. You're right. It has resulted in some negative plays. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's one thing to remember about this game. Denver's back end is very very good. They've they've given a lot of offenses trouble this year. They're one of the best, and that includes the linebackers. Man, Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton aren't household names, but. They're they're really good in space and coverage, even blitzing too, and and that's where you saw it on that jewel. Yeah, you're right. He, that outstretch interception was great. So shout out yeah. them. Well, a couple of quick questions about the offense that we'll get to a, a look ahead, Ron, for this week. Adam Cole asked about Jody Fortson. Why is he not getting any targets? That's a good question. Um, you know, they have a lot of mouths to feed, so it's kind of hard to you know to say that Fortson is a priority or should be a priority, but. He's got skills that you know should be utilized in this in this offense, but the way he is on the depth chart, you know, Noah Gray plays a lot of those tight end two snaps because he is a better blocker and he's been really good at blocking re- lately. That's been another part of the run game gelling, and so they're going to keep him on the field more. He's just not going to see the off the field as much, and you know, maybe in a game like this, you don't need any special forts and packages in the red zone, or you know, so he, he, I think he's kind of a he, he's kind of a package kind of player to an extent, I think. Yeah, some of that could be the rise of Noah Gray. He's been yeah. he's been good, and yeah, I mean that's also the reason maybe that Blake Bell hasn't been rushed back because Noah right. Gray is looking like a tight end too right now. And and uh, I would love to see the Jody Fordson uh, uh, red zone packages come back. Uh, maybe they're saving that for for later on, or maybe right. it's just been a product of the uh, the the flow of the game. Uh, Mike Candler at Mister Slippy five nineteen on Twitter. Why is Watson getting so many snaps like a wide receiver two? but not really contributing at that level. Wouldn't you want MV- MVS and more to see more than they are? Uh, obviously with Hardman out, that changes things, uh, but it's just odd. So yeah. Uh, any issues with, with the reason Watson is, is being on the field this month? Well, here's the thing with this game. You know, I saw everyone kind of react to Watson had the second most receiver snaps. Well, this game script got out of hand and, and, you know, I know they had to play, you know, all the way through the fourth four quarters, but you know, at some point, yeah, they, they may have just been, you know, their offensive packages may have not been very reflective of their of their usual personnel um, rotation, I guess, maybe. Um, so I don't know if you can take that from this game. But I will say, in general, though, we knew Mahomes trusted Justin Watson all the way back in OTAs. I mean, this dude was talking him up, you know, very early. And I think that plays a huge part of it. I mean, if you trust a receiver... And Justin Watson has given us no reason to think that he shouldn't be on the field. Like, when has he ever dropped a pass? When has he ever really made a bad play? So if Mahomes trusts him, if he's a high-floor player that's not really going to make a bad play, 
I don't see an issue with him playing a good amount of snaps. It does take away from Sky more, but you know, if you especially when Tony and 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 McCole Hardman are back, you know, they're going to do a lot of the stuff that Sky Moore could do anyway. And then you know, you just have you just have kind of a deep receiving core. Justin Watson can be that outside guy. He can block on the perimeter. He can you know go downfield. So there is yeah, value to him. That's a long-winded way of saying Watson's been pretty good this year. He really yeah. has been. Like he's yeah. not going to be your high uh, volume target guy, but he does the dirty work. He's out there and, he, and he's made some plays here and there. I have no problem with him seeing the field as much as he does, as opposed to trying to force things for MVS. Uh, certainly I would like to see Sky Moore have a bigger role, but this team is definitely missing McCall Hardman and Kadarius Tony, and they might get both back this week or one this week, one next week. And just wait and see how the, the targets play out. Once those guys are back on the field and they have that short to intermediate threat, they have that uh, tunnel screen type receiver that can, they can break one. Right. Uh, I, I think they're going to have some more options when those guys are back on the field. And you'll see less Watson and more Tony, for example, or more Hardman. Uh, but either way, Watson's not a problem. Yeah, and, and one quick thing to add, too, is we always kind of, you know, we get into the season, then we maybe forget about some of the talking points from the offseason. We always knew it was going to be hard for Sky Moore to get involved as a rookie. We all know Andy Reid's offense is complicated, and you have to know every position. And, and you know, we've, we've heard, you know, we even this year, we've, we've heard more stories about how complex and layered the playbook is. It's just, I just, you know, we got to remember that Justin Watson is not a rookie. He just didn't play in the Chiefs last year, but he is a veteran. He's been in, you know, he was with Tom Brady Bucks, all that. He, he is, you know, he's a four-year vet, five-year vet. So I just think some of that makes a difference too, um, you know, trusting him to play more snaps overall. Last question from KS Chaser uh, asked about NFL officiating. Will they ever stop with horrible calls at the worst times? I, I'm just going to answer this for you, Ron. No, uh, it, it's, it's not. Gonna, <laughs> they're not going to stop. Bet, arguably bad call against uh, McDuffie. Also, allowing Jerry Judy to pull his helmet off and bump a ref on the way out and, and not say a word about it. Was that uh, bizarre, inconsistent officiating. It's a problem around the league. It's not just a chiefs thing. And in fact, if you ask a lot of other teams fans, they think the chiefs get the better of the, the calls. So no, don't expect that to change. Just get used to it for now. Let's, let's jump ahead. And, and in our last couple minutes here, take a quick look forward. Uh, the chiefs, you know, continue this season uh, with a matchup that should be one of the more straightforward, uh, easier wins on the schedule. But this Texans team has been a little bit feisty. So the Chiefs Absolutely. go to Houston to play the, the Houston Texans this year. Um, the Texans are 1-11. and uh, also have a tie, so they're 1-11-1. and uh, This is a team that, you know, has obviously struggled a lot. They've had they've got all the issues in the world, including injuries. But what do you see from this matchup? What do you expect to see from the Chiefs? Is this the get right game they've been waiting for? It should be, but you never know. I mean, this this the Texans defense has some young playmakers in the secondary. Jalen Petrie, the safety that a lot of us were excited about in the pre-draft process, but also cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. obviously uh, is is has been very good for them. But I mentioned Petrie first because he is all over the field. He made some plays for them against Dallas last week. When they almost beat Dallas in Dallas, they had the lead the entire game for the most part. But on the offensive side of the football is where I think the Texans could muck it up because they do have a strong running game. Damian Pierce, the rookie running back from Florida, 
I've had him on my fantasy team all year. He has been a, a nice, nice addition um, to the squad because he is a guy that breaks tackles, run, ha- runs hard through contact. And we have seen the Chiefs not, uh, you know, not do very well at that. So it'll be a good test for them. That, that's kind of the cool part about this game is it's kind of a you have to tackle him, right? Like you can't just avoid tackling this guy and, and expect to win the game. So it's, it's a good, you know, uh, you know, just challenge, I guess, for them as they get down the playoff stretch, you know, ready for a, a bigger game to, to get better at tackling, right? You know, to be a better tackling team. It's, it's one of those things, though, where kind of like the Titans, where it might help that the Texans don't really have a pass game and, and they really don't last week. They weren't even, they didn't even have Brandon cooks or um, their second leading receiver out on the field. They may be back this week, but I mean, I say that and they almost beat Dallas with, with that being the case. So they're, they're a feisty team. You're not lying about that. They actually do have a pretty decent offensive tackle position. Um, you know, they have a couple guys, so it might be harder to create pressure um, and the, the run defense may have to step up. Um, and, and really play well to, to kind of help uh, the defense kind of shut it down. So it, it's not going to be it's not going to be a cakewalk, I guess. But they should win. Come on, let's win. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at a team where I haven't really heard of a lot of the uh, receivers that are starting for the Houston Texans. Uh, uh, Chris Moore is not somebody I'm super familiar with. He had 10 for 124 last week. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is a this is a team that, again, they can sneak up on you. So you don't want to take anybody lightly. Um there's probably not a lot of good film on some of those guys. I mean, your top receivers, uh, Amari Rogers, Chris Moore. Uh, yeah. Real and, quick on Amari Rogers, that guy was cut from Green Bay like a, three weeks ago. I mean, that's that's who they have as their starting receivers. And Green Bay needs receivers. And then you got Philip Dorsett, who I almost forgot about, also was on the street not that long ago looking for a job. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're you focus on stopping Damian Pierce. You try to make Davis Mills beat you and you'll probably be okay. I mean, they played well against Dallas. Davis Mills had 175 yards passing, no touchdowns, <laughs> one interception. So, like, I don't even know how they're that that competitive uh, other than the fact that they, they force turnovers and uh, uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball. So, hopefully this is a chance for Mahomes to clean things up, not turn the ball over. If the defense tackles, I think you'll see a pretty convincing win this week, uh, and they get kind of get back on track. But – I stay back on track, but if you look at this last week, when you come out of a game, you put up 34 points against a, a top defense. Uh, the pass rush was live. They beat a division opponent on the road. They get to that 10-win plateau. Maybe it's a good thing that the Chiefs still have stuff to play for. The AFC West is still out there. The number one seed is still out there. This should be a fun team to watch down the stretch, and we'll be a, a podcast here for you the whole way, so make sure you listen. Uh, tune in, rate, review. Uh, any any final thoughts from you, Ron? But definitely look forward to the, the stretch run with you guys. Yeah, no, we should have mentioned it, but the Chiefs can win the division this week with a win. They don't need anything else to happen. They just need to win in Houston, and they are the AFC West champs. So that's what's on the line this weekend. I imagine they'll get it done and kind of, you know, that the complacency after that is going to be maybe tough. But like you mentioned, the one seed, that's got to light a fire under them. Got to keep them going, right, the rest of the season. Trying to get that one seed. I got to imagine. Yeah, Buffalo can lose at any any time. They've, they've had some injuries that's going to make things tough for them down the stretch. So, you know, uh, keep that keep that going. Keep watching this team. Keep reading our content on ArrowheadPride.com and listening to the whole Arrowhead Pride podcast network. We appreciate you all spending time with us today. We look forward to talking with you next week and hopefully talking about your division champion, Kansas City Chiefs.